0: Uh, we're going to read the first eight verses uh, of Micah 4. We're going to read the whole thing this week. And uh, what we've seen so far in this book is that the Micah is a prophet who's been sent uh, to the people of Judah, uh, God's people in the, in the south uh, of the original nation of Israel. And he's been warning them because of what they've been doing, their idolatry, their rebellion, uh, that Jerusalem, their capital city, is going to be destroyed. If you look at the verse just before the reading, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be ploughed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. London will fall, in other words. So having given the bad news, in Micah 4, the corner turns and he starts uh, to let God's people know of the hope that remains. So let's hear the voice of the Lord. Micah 4, verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, And it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I'll assemble the lame and gather those who've been driven away. And those whom I've afflicted and the lame, I will make the remnant. And those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem pray Uh, our father we praise you are a speaking God that we have your word the word of the living God uh, in our hands and we pray now that the same spirit who inspired these words the same spirit who caused Micah to speak uh, will interpret those words to us that might we be as we prayed earlier not just hearers of the word but doers give us receptive hearts we pray in Jesus name amen Or if you've ever heard the old proverb, uh, "Those dancing were thought to be insane by those who couldn't hear the music." You ever heard that? Those dancing were thought to be insane by those who couldn't hear the music. You just think about it for a moment. You get it? Uh, No one quite knows where it it comes from, but it was certainly quoted by one of the old Puritan preachers, a guy called Thomas Manton, Uh, and he asked the congregation to imagine. 300, 40 years ago now. So imagine they were out in the fields going to another village. And as they approached that village, they could see on, on the hill a bunch of men and women uh, dancing, jigging around. Uh, and, and, and as they approached, they think, well, what is going on? Okay, why are these people doing such a strange, jerky actions? What, what, what's going on? And they're confused until they get close enough to hear uh, the pipes and the violins going. Uh, those dancing were thought to be insane by those who couldn't hear the music. Uh, Christians at times, in fact, Christians perhaps most of the time, ought to look mad to the world around, ought to look insane. Because the world around hasn't heard that the gospel song, hasn't heard God's voice. So look at your own life. Uh, do you sometimes look at it and reflect on your own life and think, what am I doing? Or perhaps you've even thought yourself insane. Am I, should I really be giving myself wholeheartedly to the service of God? Or, or perhaps you look at your life and think, actually, I'm not that different from the world around. Uh, those who are, who are dancing to a different tune, if you like to stretch the metaphor, uh, their lives and my lives don't look that different. But one of the things that the that book of Micah I think, teaches us is that as God's people, as those you have heard a different tune, as those you have heard this song, you see it's all set out in poetry, heard this song where God promises what he's going to do, our, our dance ought to look different. Our lives uh, ought to look different. In particular, because of the promises of what's to come. I mentioned a moment ago that, that, that at the end of chapter three, Micah had finished by dropping an absolute bombshell on God's people. Their capital city was going to be destroyed. That's bad news for the kings. That's where the kings lived in Jerusalem. 3 verse 12, is going to become a ploughed field. But it's terrible news too for the whole, frankly, the whole church system. The temple sat in Jerusalem. God's own house is going to be ploughed into ruins. Buckingham Palace, destroyed. Westminster Abbey, gone. 10 Downing Street, a ploughed field. Uh, this is the utter destruction uh, of God's country, God's people, uh, and even God's king and God's house. And so in light of that, if, like, if, if someone had stopped there, if someone had nipped out during Micah's uh, preaching uh, at this stage, just after 3.12, they'd be forgiven for thinking, well, that's it. Okay. If this is coming to us, what's the point persevering? Even our own God is against us. I might as well throw my lot in with another people. Maybe I can join the Philistines or the Egyptians or the Ethiopians. Why persevere when even our own God seems to be against us? Now, hopefully no one here, if you're a Christian, no one thinks that God is against them, I hope. But still, that, that sense that it just doesn't seem to be working. The world seems to be winning. The church seems to be dwindling, not growing. It can be oppressive. And although we might not ever go as far as saying, well, I'm just going to throw in the towel, I'll give up. It could well be that in our lives at work, our lives away from other Christians, we do just begin to conform that our allegiance to to, to Christ dwindles somewhat. If you like that we don't put all our chips, stake everything on the fact that Christ will one day return. So let's see how Micah uh, 4 in particular can help us. Uh, It begins with it with this a uh, tremendous turnaround. If in 3 verse 12, Jerusalem, Zion, to use its other name, uh, is a heap of ruins, in 4 verse 1, the whole thing is reversed. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. The mountain of the house of the Lord is Jerusalem or Zion. It's a bit like calling it New York and, and the Big Apple. They're just different names for the same place. It's going to be the highest mountain. And what was destroyed will be raised up. Uh, throughout the Bible, God often meets his people on mountains. Mountains are, are significant. I suppose famously Mount Sinai, where God met uh, Moses and gave the Ten Commandments. Uh, but actually all the way through the story of Scripture, the Garden of Eden was a mountain, wasn't it? Um, we know that in part because the way it's described, the rivers flow down from it. Rivers don't run uphill. Uh, we know it too from the book of Ezekiel, which, which just calls it a mountain. Uh, or we could go on to, to the Gospels. Uh, the, the great moments of revelation take place very often on mountains. Think of the Transfiguration. Uh, where God's voice is heard, the cloud, the glory cloud comes, Christ is there, Uh, God announces, this is my son, listen to him, Moses and Elijah turn up, whereas it's on a mountain. Uh, The Great Commission is given on a mountain. Uh, And throughout the days of the Old Testament, it was a a mountain, a hill, this hill of Zion that was the centre of God's people. And strangely, it's going to grow. In these latter days, whenever they may be, it's going to be bigger than it ever was. Lifted up above the other hills. The idea is that, um, that, that, that God's sanctuary will, will be clearly seen to be superior to all others. Uh, in, in the days of Micah, uh, almost all the other kind of religious groupings around would, would build their sanctuaries on hills. Uh, you might remember the phrase in the Bible, the high places, very often uh, Baal and some of these other gods uh, were worshipped on, on hills, on high places. Think of the Egyptians building pyramids, building little hills, because you're getting closer to God. But, but when this day comes, says God through Micah, it'll be obvious that, that my mountain is bigger than all the others, far higher. And because of that, there are some consequences, three in particular. When this mountain goes up, what's going to happen? Well, God's word is going to go out, verse 2. people will go to the mountain and say, come to the mountain, let us go to the mount of the Lord. Why? That he may teach us his ways, and we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, or the teaching, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. When this mountain is raised up, then God's word is going to go out from there. It is a mountain on which, if you like a prophet, will stand. God's word will go out from the mountain. And people will come and obey. But it's not just a centre for for prophecy, uh, for the word of the Lord to go out. It's also a centre for kingship. Uh, Verse 3. He, that's God, will judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. The the word judge there is kind of, it's it's a kingly word. This this, this mountain is going to be the place where God rules, settles disputes. You see it. A bit further on, uh, in verse 7, God promises the lame I'll make a remnant, those who are cast off, a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. Uh, or again, uh, verse 9, sorry, verse 8, uh, strange language, isn't it? you O tower of the flock, uh, it's a strange word, it, it's probably referring to a particular area of Jerusalem. Uh, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. The, the king will be back, in other words, whatever other complications there are in the verse. Kings will be back reigning. And that king will be will it be the Lord himself. So the mountain goes up. Before follow the pattern. The mountain goes up, this biggest mountain you've ever seen. Uh, God's word goes out from the mountain and God's king reigns on the mountain. In fact, God himself reigns on the mountain. And because of that... Well, because of that, the nations come flocking in. Uh, Verse two, or the end of verse one, actually. When this mountain is lifted up above the hills, the peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, come, let's go to the Mount of the Lord. It'll no longer just be Israel, the Jewish people. This mountain is gonna be so huge, so impressive that they'll come from far and wide, from east and west, north and south, and want to go up because they want the word of the Lord. Come, let us go, that he may teach us. There'll be such a desire for God's word that people will flock to this mountain. And it'll be a joyous time. Uh, Two characteristics in particular of this mountain are drawn out or life in the shadow of this mountain. First of all, it'll be peaceful. Because God is king, verse three, uh, judging, deciding, well, these nations will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Weapons become tools for blessing. Uh, for farming. There is no more war. In other words. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Uh, no more missiles. No more bombs. <laughs> no more sectarian violence. No more terrorism. Uh, what was once uh, a weapon uh, becomes an instrument of blessing. So this kingdom is peaceful, and it's also permanent. It's also permanent. Uh, this mountain, verse 1, this kingdom is established. Uh, it's a word that, that, that gives this sense that it will never be moved again. Okay? This isn't another try and the possibility of another failure. This mountain isn't going anywhere. It is so big, so solid, that it is established forever it is an unmovable rock. This fortress will not fall. This king will never be knocked off his throne. Uh, This prophet will never cease to preach. So do you see the pattern? Mountain goes up and then the word goes out, preaching goes out, uh, and the king sits enthroned. Therefore, all the other nations come in and find this blessed kingdom, peaceful and permanent. That's the picture that, that Mike is painting. And the obvious question is, well, Okay, but when, Michael, when are you talking about? When is Michael talking about? As you, as you, as you read it, as you heard it, when did it sound like it's going to happen? I guess our first instinct would be to say, well, it, it must be when, as Christians, you know, we know the rest of the story, it must be when Jesus returns. Only then will wars stop. Only then will there be total peace. Now, th- there is truth to that, and we'll come back to that. But there are three clues, I think, that actually Micah is not simply speaking about this, the second coming of Christ, about what happens after Jesus returns. But he's in fact speaking about our own day too. Three clues. First of all, verse one, when is these things going to happen? They're going to happen in the latter days. In the latter days. Now Micah obviously doesn't give any detail there. What are the latter days? He doesn't give a, you know, a date, Well, it's going to be you know, 1933 or whatever. No, but... That, that phrase, the latter days, I mean, it's literally in Hebrew, the days behind your back, because you can't see them yet, they're, they're still to come. Uh, but the phrase, the latter days, or the last days, is picked up in the New Testament to mean the days between Jesus' first coming and second coming, i.e. the days we live in now. So on the day of Pentecost. Children, do you remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? What, something very special happened, yeah? What happened? Do you remember? It was, it was, good. It's the harvest festival, yeah? And on the day of Pentecost in Acts Jesus had gone up to heaven, and what did he send down? Yeah. was the Holy Spirit. Yeah, angels were there as Jesus went up, and the Holy Spirit came down. And on that day, as the Holy Spirit came on the church, uh, Peter preached, and he preached on a text from the Old Testament, from the prophet Joel, uh, and said, look, the last days have begun. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all people, the prophet Joel said. And Peter says, that's happened. The Spirit's poured out, so the last days have begun. You and I are living in the last days. Now, that might suggest... If Micah's using the word in the same way as the New Testament, which is not unlikely given the Holy Spirit wrote both, that might suggest that actually already Micah's vision has begun. Or have a look down uh, to to chapter 4, verse 6, the second poem, if you like. In that day, so it's the same day as everything that's just happened, in that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who've been driven away, those whom I've afflicted. Uh, The lame I will make a remnant. Those who were cast off, I'll make a strong nation. What's Micah talking about? Well, if you read the whole book, it would would make sense. Uh, Earlier on uh, in Micah, uh, he's told them, uh, at the end of chapter one, he's told that the, 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 the Israelites who he's preaching to, that they will go into exile. Okay, they'll be driven off the land. And so when God says in chapter four that I will regather them, gather those who've been driven away, he's talking, first of all, about the people of Israel. He's not simply making kind of these mysterious prophecies about the future that have got nothing to do with the people who are listening to him. No, he's speaking to the Israelites. You will be driven out of the land, away from Jerusalem, and then I will regather you. Uh, it won't be exactly the same people. As a matter of fact, the, the, Mike is preaching in the kind of through 700 to about 735 um, BC. Uh, it's not till 586 that the, the Babylonians come in and, and take everyone away. So it's about 150 years before it actually happens. So it's not the very specific people Mike is speaking to. This lot, we, we learn elsewhere in the book of uh, Jeremiah, this lot repent. And so there's a kind of a stare of execution. But their grandchildren uh, eventually uh, do get taken into exile. Either way, they will be taken away and there will be a physical return. Again, that suggests that it is not simply a promise of heaven. It is something that's happening on earth. And thirdly and finally, just flick back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2. Uh, Isaiah 2 is almost word for word the same as Micah 2. Isaiah and Micah, and in fact Hosea, prophesied at the same time. So who knows if Isaiah did it first and Micah copied, or Micah did it first and Isaiah copied, or they wrote it together, who knows? But either way, look at uh, Isaiah 2, which is almost exactly the same. Uh, so verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days, there are the days again, that the mountain of the house of the Lord, there it is, shall be established as the highest of the mountains, lifted up above the hills, there's the height. The nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, walk in his paths. For Zion shall go to the Lord and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then it just gets slightly different. Verse four, he shall judge between the nations. Okay, we had that. And shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. He's deciding disputes. So when, when God is, is ruling... Isaiah just has that extra line to say, look, there are quarrels going on, but he's deciding them. He's settling them. Now, why is that a clue that this can't just be about heaven or after the return of Christ? Because we know that after the return of Christ, there won't be disputes. Are there? There's no squabbling in heaven. Okay, you're not, you're not going to be in the new creation, the new earth and have a spat with your neighbour and have to sort of go up to, to Jesus and say, look, well, who's wrong here? Come on, sort it out. Because there will be no fighting, no coveting. No arguing. Prophets are difficult. Okay, this morning, I'm afraid, is, is difficult. I found this week difficult. Uh, they're difficult because they don't, uh, they don't always make it absolutely clear when things are going to happen. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, uh, said he almost despaired of preaching on prophets uh, because he, he said at times they seemed like crazed men. Uh, he, were unable to fo- he was unable to follow their train of thought. Okay, he's one of the greatest churchmen ever. They are hard work. But, and one of the, re- the reasons they're hard work and, and, and passages like Micah 4 are difficult is because a whole bunch of stuff is painted as if it's all happening at once, whereas actually when it comes to pass, you see that, that many of the things happen in, in kind of stages. Uh, the old illustration of this, and I think it's, it's still a, a good one, is that of a mountain range. Uh, from, from one angle, if you look at, perhaps you've been walking the, the peaks or something, or somewhere more dramatic, the Alps, and you look at a mountain, and it seems like, that, that, you know, just like that. Okay, you can see the peak. But if you looked at the mountain range from the side, you'd realise there was a gap between what you thought was the first peak and, and the back. It, there's a gap. It looks from one angle, to be just flat, but if you look at the side, you'll see there's a range, a gap in between. Well, we'll so too with the, the prophets. Uh, at times, they... Uh, make it sound like a whole bunch of things are going to happen all at once. But as the story of the Bible goes on, you realize that actually there's a gap between some of the things. I'll uh, just look on a few chapters in Micah, sort of a bit of a tour this morning, but sorry, in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah uh, 11. Now you see this pretty clearly. Isaiah 11 is 575. And Isaiah's prophesying. Uh, Verse one, Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse is a a man, so a child is gonna be born from Jesse's line. And verse two, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now, who's that? One day this descendant of Jesse, descendant of David is gonna come, he's gonna be full of the spirit and well, we all know who it is, okay? You don't need me to tell you, it's Jesus, Isaiah is prophesying the coming of Jesus. But look how the, 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 uh, the passage goes on. Verse four, halfway down verse four. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. He's talking about Jesus coming in judgment. But Jesus didn't come in judgment the first time he came. Okay, when he came as this spiritual man, he didn't come and kill the wicked. Or on to verse 6, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, the little child shall lead them. Did that happen when Jesus came? So what happens if you put a wolf with a lamb? What's going to happen? Exactly, yeah, bad news for the lamb, isn't it? The wolf's going to get eaten. Okay, you put a leopard with a goat, the goat's going down for now. But that won't be the case after Jesus returns and the animal kingdom is in harmony. Okay, one day in the new kingdom, there you go, something to look forward to, children. One day you'll be able to play with lions, maybe dinosaurs, who knows? Okay, and it'll be safe. It'll be safe because there's no death after Christ returns. I just use that passage as an illustration that, that the prophets mingle together things that actually we see come at different points uh, when the reality comes. How does that help us with Micah? It helps us understand, I think, uh, that what he's predicting is going to happen in stages. I'll turn back there, if you will, microphone. 4. The, the return of, of the people who were literally sent out of Israel into exile in, in Babylon, well, that does happen. It happens in about 516, about 70 years after they go. There's a little fulfillment. And they do rebuild the temple. Okay, it was destroyed, and they rebuild it. But it, when they rebuild it, they look at it, and those who are old enough to remember the first one just cry, because it's just not that great. They know all the prophecies. They know how great this hill's meant to be, how amazing the temple's meant to be, and they look at it and weep and think, huh, it's not happened. I mean, it's sort of happened. We've come back. We have built a temple, but it's not really happened. And so we need to think beyond that. And there's a sense, uh, and I think an important sense that we we miss very easily if we just jump to heaven. There's a sense in which what Micah describes is exactly what's happening today. How is that the case? Well, let's think through those elements. Remember the big mountain, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be raised up. Mount Zion is going to be raised up. Does that ring any bells in the New Testament? Does that ring any bells in the New Testament? What about Paul speaking uh, in the book of Galatians, where he says that that Christians are members of the Jerusalem that is above? Do you hear that? You're, You're a member, you're a citizen in Jerusalem, but a Jerusalem that is above. What about Revelation 21? When we meet the new Jerusalem, what's it doing? It's coming down out of heaven. John goes on to explain that it's a picture of the people of God ultimately. But still, this Jerusalem that is above comes down out of heaven. In other words, God is building a new Jerusalem, but it's up above. It is very (laughs) high. It is high in the heavens. And you already dwell there. You already live there. Come on to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. If you're a Christian, you live not simply in Leeds, but also in heaven. Uh, You live in Zion, you have dual citizenship. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, page 1009. Look at verse 22. Hebrews 12, 22, page 1009. Uh, he's just said uh, to, to the Hebrew Christians, Look, you, you're not going to Mount Sinai. Forget that old mountain. But, verse 22, you have come, not you will come, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. You have already entered that city. This new Jerusalem, this new people that God is building, you've already entered. Now, it's mysterious, isn't it? You say, well, but I haven't. I'm, I'm down here. I'm in Leeds. That's my address. I can give you a postcode. But, but the writer of Hebrews, just like Paul, just like John, says, yeah, 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 but there's a spiritual reality that you can't see. We live by faith not by sight, big theme in Hebrews. And what what you would see if you look with faith, not just sight, is that already you are counted, already you are, in this mysterious sense, dwelling in the heavenly city, if you put your trust in Christ. That's why the church is called the Temple of the Holy Spirit. This new temple that is being built, as God promised the temple will be raised up, is being built, if you like, from above downwards. It's mysterious, isn't it? It is strange, but that doesn't make it less true. The headquarters of the church are in heaven. Not in Rome, not in Canterbury, not in Leeds. IPC doesn't have a headquarters, but you know. The headquarters of the church are in heaven. And spiritually, we dwell there already because we are bound by the Holy Spirit to Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone, isn't he? in the New Testament, over the new temple. He is the head of the body. He is in heaven, and so spiritually we are too. Our lives lag behind. But the reality is we're safe there already. The new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that Micah promises, in other words, has begun already. And although the the reality, if you like, is up there in heaven, the church is the outworking here on earth. Uh, The church is the mountain that is lifted up uh, above the other nations. It is the the people of God, the church, the spiritual temple that has become the uh, greatest place uh, on earth. Uh, That's why it is from the church that the word of God goes out. And when this mountain went up, the word went out. It is through the church that the word of God is to go out because it is through the church that God speaks. It is the church's role to preach God's word to the nations. You see that in missionary endeavour. That's why it matters that we take the gospel to all nations and aren't just concerned uh, about ourselves. Uh, It is through the church that Christians are are built up. Uh, Many of our evangelical forefathers had a far higher view of of preaching uh, than we do ourselves. We think about, you know, explaining the Bible and teaching it and all that, but but, but for them, it, it, as you sat Sunday by Sunday and heard the word of God preached, you weren't just hearing Joe Bloggs, your minister, okay, Reverend Smith. You were listening to God. So here's John Calvin. When a man has climbed into the pulpit, it is so that God may speak to us by the mouth of a man. Or Martin Luther, a preacher's mouth is Christ's mouth. The Puritan Nehemiah Rogers, the text is the word of God abridged. Preaching is the word of God enlarged. Now, they're not saying that ministers are infallible. Of course, people make mistakes. In that case, it's not the word of God. But when, when, when you hear preaching that is faithful, you're not just thinking, well, there's some guy's opinions. This is how Christ preaches to his church. This is how the word of God goes out. You might've seen White House officials make statements. Sometimes it's even the president himself, isn't it? And they go behind that podium. And from that podium in the White House, You know, wars have been declared, uh, economies ruined. Uh, The world has been changed by words spoken from that podium. But for Micah, well, for Micah, this little tinny music stand is far more significant. Uh, Each week, as God's word is preached, it is Christ speaking to us from his throne room in the heavenly Jerusalem to his people we have gathered from all nations. The word goes out, and Christ rules. Uh, the church is the place over which Christ rules. Jesus is king of the church. Uh, this is important in michael in particular. If you're here last week, we read about these cannibal leaders—these leaders who were just feeding off people—and uh, so Christ comes. God Himself comes. Jesus takes on human flesh, and He becomes the leader of His people. He comes over to to, to rule over us, to defend us, and not to exploit us, but to give to us. Uh, Because Christ rules the church, it's not a democracy. We have come under the reign of one who is an authority over us. And it should be the case, therefore, that within the church, peace breaks out. Remember those verses about weapons being buried and all the rest of it turned into uh, plows. It should be that in the church, peace comes as Christ rules over us. As we're reconciled to God, we learn to forgive one another and not oppress one another, not steal from one another, not attack one another. Uh, The kingdom of the church is meant to be a kingdom of peace. And therefore, the nations should be coming in. As the church preaches God's word or Christ preaches through the church, as Christ rules the church, then what should happen? The nations should come in. Now, as you look at Micah, many people have said, "Look, what he's describing is is far greater than we've seen uh, yet." Uh, The idea of these nations flowing in, uh, of all peoples coming, uh, has led many Bible-believing Christians to think, "Well, there must be a stage in history when we see something far more spectacular." But we do see many, 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 perhaps even most nations uh, converted. If you like, a golden age before Christ returns. And like John Owen or Jonathan Edwards were, were, were convinced that, although in their day, and let's face it, in our day, the church is pretty small and weak, one day the church would grow and grow and grow until it does become the dominant voice, uh, dominant force on earth. Uh, we can't really get into that today, um, uh, but, it, but it certainly seems the case that Micah is predicting something greater. Than what we've seen, and yet something that still happens in this earthly age where disputes need settling uh, before Christ returns. Uh, the church is the center of God's plan. It looks weak, it looks broken, but it is the center of God's plan, because it is the earthly output, outpost, sorry, of the heavenly Jerusalem. It is through the church that God reigns and God preaches. Uh, but ultimately, of course, that the final fulfillment will only come. Uh, when Christ returns. Uh, when he returns, when he returns, there will be no more war, no more suffering, no more mourning. Uh, when he returns, uh, it will be nothing but peace uh, and security. Uh, in Micah, uh, after he'd finished this vision in verses one to four of, of what, what, would, what was to come, Uh, He said this, verse five, all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. What he's saying is, look, I know that at the moment everything looks rubbish. I know I've just told you that your temple is going to be destroyed. I know that all the other peoples walk and follow other gods. We're not the dominant religion, but we will keep following Yahweh. We will stick with our God. Why? Why? Because we're certain that one day he will come and fulfill all these promises. He is going to be the winning God, if you like. His mountain will be the biggest. Michael is saying to his people, don't trust your eyes. Trust instead your ears as God speaks to you. And that is the message for us too, isn't it? Uh, Those dancing were thought insane by those who couldn't hear the music. God promises that one day Christ will return, the heavenly Jerusalem will come out and down and the world will be transformed. And then every blessing you can think of will come. And therefore you need to live in light of that hope. However dire or desperate it seems, however mad you look to the world around, you have heard this gospel song. And so our lives ought to look different. When you make decisions about, some of you who are younger, about what you're gonna do with your careers, where you're gonna live. When you think about who you're gonna marry, all the, the, the different areas of life ought to look different to those who've not heard this song uh, of Micah. It is sure, it is certain. Uh, Micah told us the temple will be destroyed and w- would come back. Uh, Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of that, wasn't he? Uh, he said himself, you know, my body is the temple. Destroy this temple, I will raise it up again in three days. <coughs> uh, Jesus died, rose again as the utter proof that God will win. He rose again and sits in heaven, enthroned already as king. So though you don't see him, you believe. Though you don't see him, you hear him. Though you don't see him, you sit under his rule. Uh, For now, yes, there will still be some warfare. There will be some disputes. But the safest place you can be uh, is in the church, under the Lordship of Christ, and listening to his voice. Let's pray. Uh, Our Father, we... We come to books like Micah and see wonderful things, strange things, things that stretch our comprehension, uh, visions that, if we're honest, at times we find difficult to untangle. But we praise you that you have promised a sure and certain hope that one day Christ will return, that the heavenly Jerusalem will come again to earth and that we will dwell in peace and security, each under their own fig tree, uh, to delight and to enjoy our Saviour forever. And so we pray that that for now, as we live between the ages, as we wait for that day, you'd give us the faith and the courage to stand out from the world around. That whoever uh, might come against us, that whatever pressure we feel, we'll be willing to thought and mad for the sake of Christ. So strengthen our faith and our hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.